Hi, and welcome to Make Space for Nature from Nature Scott, the podcast that celebrates Scotland's nature and landscapes. I'm Kirsten Guthrie, and in each episode, I, along with my co presenters and guests, will help you connect with and take care of our amazing natural world. In this episode, we chat with Peatland Action Project officers Ben Ingalls Grant and Sue White. Sue works with Shetland Amenity Trust, and Ben is with Carloway Estate Trust on the Isle of Lewis. We hear about their work with Peatland Action, the national programme helping to restore damaged peatlands in Scotland, led and funded by Scottish Government and delivered by Nature Scott and Partners. So hi Sue and hi Ben, welcome to the Make Space for Nature podcast. Thank you for joining us today. How are you both? I'll start with Sue. Busy. <laughs> but enjoying <laughs> things otherwise. <laughs> Brilliant. And what about yourself, Ben? Good, thank you. Yeah, just enjoying being inside out of the rain and the wind today. Ah, brilliant, brilliant. So you're both you're both Peatland Action Project Officers in two different and very beautiful parts of the country. Ben, you're on the Isle of Lewis in the Western Isles and Sue, you're way up north in Shetland. Sue, can you tell us a bit more about what your role involves in Shetland, please? I suppose I'm pretty much a sort of one-stop shop for all things peatlands and peatland restoration in Shetland, um, right from raising awareness amongst school kids through to speaking with crofters and other land managers who might be interested in doing some peatland restoration, um, even recruiting contractors to do the work, working up projects, and right through to project management and so on. It's huge um, and, and very varied and quite exciting, quite interesting. Does it sounds fascinating and and Ben is that a similar role to yourself? Uh, very similar here. Yes, um, in the Hebrides, I'm just uh, raising awareness of the project and then helping through the development of the project, uh, right through surveying or getting funding for the surveying to be done, and then uh, restoration of actual sites as well with land managers, landowners, and other stakeholders. So yeah, much the same as Sue, just a different location. The good news being both living in fantastic places to <laughs> presumably live and work within Scotland. Um, could we, could you let us know about um, how you got involved in peatland restoration in the first place? Uh, I don't know if you'd like to start for us, Ben. Yeah, um, so I decided to go to university just before the financial crash um, and I went to go and study uh, archaeology with a touch of earth science. Um, so when I finished university, the, the world was uh, working out what it was going to do with itself after the financial crisis. So I worked for a few years with a student charity trying to find my feet and then moved into working with an online learning company. So completely different from Peatland Restoration. Uh, I worked with that company for about five years, uh, eventually finishing up as their project manager. Um, and in 2018, we were told we were expecting our, our son Sandy, so prompted me to look for a job that I would enjoy <laughs> whilst also getting out of the house um, a wee bit more. And um, that was that was the opportunity to move up to Lewis uh, and, and start working with the Peatland Action Project up here. So uh, not the usual journey to being in a, involved in Peatland Restoration, but uh, certainly it's got me there in the end. And Sue, you, I think you're one of our longest-serving Peatland Action officers. Yeah, we get referred to as old hags, <laughs> which is an in-joke for a Peatland Restoration Project <laughs> officer. <laughs> But uh, no, I'd, um, I, I'd had a background in, I've also got background in archaeology, but I've been working for quite a while in um, farm and croft conservation um, advisory work, but um, and then the RSPB. But about 10 years ago, I was living on a farm and it had been a really dry summer, which is unusual in Shetland, it's lovely hot, dry summer. And then uh, it was almost exactly 10 years ago, 
it rained really heavily overnight. There's thunderstorms overnight. And um, the woke up basically to look out the window and just see the side of the hill up above the farmhouse just moving. It was just a, a whole soup, gravy kind of mass uh, movement of peat. There'd been a huge bog burst that had triggered a peat slide um, up above the farm there. And downstairs in the house, uh, the doors had all been burst open and we were up to our knees in this sort of peaty soup. There were lumps of um, peat with the vegetation on top of them, the size of armchairs that had come in the door and landed up in the living room. So it was quite a big, big sort of wake up call for me, I think, very much sort of um, reminded me why I'm an ecologist, I suppose, Uh, just that, you know, awesome power of nature, I suppose, especially when you see things going wrong like that. But also then I got totally fascinated, maybe slightly obsessed with peatlands, did a short peatland introduction to peatland ecology course with uh, Richard Lindsay, who I regard as one of my peatland um, sort of gurus or mentors. And from on the back of that, um, there was funding, we got funding for a peatland project officer in Shetland. And eventually, uh, that's that's where I ended up. I'm into my ninth year of um, being a, a peatland action project officer now. Well, it's quite a dramatic start, that, Sue. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't bit, yes. take a, 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 an event like that to get to get more involved. <laughs> so we know Scotland is in a twin crisis of nature and climate. We've already lost about twenty five percent of our wildlife. Um, so why is peatland restoration so important, and how can we help reverse nature loss and climate change? Ooh, that's a big one. But I think for me in Shetland, peatland restoration is the thing we can do. It's very low tech, the, the peatland restoration, it works, we can see it works, and it really does reduce the, the emissions of um, CO2. There's a huge emissions coming off of the, all the degraded and damaged peatlands, and it's something we can do. You know, like I say, it's, it's low tech, we've got the kit, we've got um, contractors who can do the work, and the funding's there from the Scottish Government, which is absolutely brilliant. It's all sort of come together at exactly the right time. So Peatland Action has been in operation since 2012 and it's delivered restoration activities on over 30,000 hectares of peatland habitats. Now, Scotland has a long-term ambition to restore 250,000 hectares of peatland by 2030. How likely are we to meet that target? I'll give that one to to you, Ben. It's a daunting figure, it's a challenging figure, but it's an exciting one as well that will take time for us to to meet. Um, It's a target there that's to to help motivate us and get us going uh, across the country. Uh, We've got this target, as you've mentioned about the twin crises, uh, to help deliver for climate change, but also to increase biodiversity. Uh, We're doing various things across the country to try and ramp up our delivery uh, to achieve our targets. Uh, Having met the 30,000 hectares already, uh, we're hoping to build on that with great momentum now. So we've got staff in every area of the country. We're working with external organisations like myself and Sue. Um, We're also looking at changing our funding structures to improve the multi-year applications to have larger and and, uh, more widespread projects. we're doing various other things to help meet this target because it is such a, a significant target. But it's significant because the rewards from achieving it will be uh, will be immeasurable in terms of climate change and increasing our biodiversity. It's certainly hugely important. Um, so a lot of people may know or recall that in 2020, the Scottish Government announced a £250 million investment in peatland restoration over the next 10 years. And Nature Scots Peatland Action Fund provides support to landowners 
for on-the-ground restoration of damaged peatlands. Uh, but can you tell us about some of the projects we've funded so far? Um, start with you, Ben. The projects that we've been funding with within Peatland Action are <laughs> uh, wide-ranging uh, across the whole country. In, in my region, in the Outer Hebrides so far, we've been working uh, mainly with uh, landowners and land managers who are, in, in my context, the, the common grazings, uh, and with other stakeholders uh, like Scottish Water as well, to restore blanket bog. So the majority of the, the restoration that's been done in the Outer Hebrides so far is on blanket bog. Um, but we have done other projects on the mainland and other islands as well that are uh, raised bogs, uh, we've done the forest to bog techniques as well and other sites as well. So uh, the projects we've funded with through Peatland Action have covered all of the different uh, peatland types within Scotland. Um, there have been some quite involved projects that have involved a lot of uh, labour and materials and then there's a bit more, um, I won't say simpler projects, but easier projects to manage in terms of being able to do with volunteers uh, out on the peatland and, and maybe not as much involvement from contractors or machinery. Um, so our projects have sort of covered all bases, um, large and small. In the Outer Hebrides we've been working with sites that have mainly been uh, peat hags, so eroding peatlands uh, that are resulting in lumpy bumpy surfaces and, and drainage gullies and, uh, and, and drains flowing out into rivers and lochs. So we've been reprofiling those peat hags to make it a, a more friendly environment for the vegetation to stabilise uh, and also to, to raise the water table on that site as well. So that's more of the projects I've been involved in directly but we've covered a lot across uh, across Scotland. And for someone like me who, who doesn't know one bog from another, um, presumably something like a, a blanket bog is, is what it sounds like in a, a large flat blog, or correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm yeah. guessing here. I, I, as I say, I, I don't know one bog from another. You're, you're the bog experts. <laughs> blanket bog, like you say, exactly as you say, it does. It blankets the hills and it's, it's all around us in Shetland. I think half of Shetland is covered in peat and is. It's blanket bog. And literally cloaks the hills it's, um, it's amazing and for anybody who might be interested in applying for funding um for these these grants uh for or any other upcoming projects or, or for those you've done it before uh, Sud, can you tell us how how people go about doing that uh, first um, stop is to speak to their friendly local peatland action project officer, I think, or go through peatland action at nature scott and yeah there's project officers all over um scotland who will handhold you right through the process as a land manager, a landowner, a common grazings committee or whoever, um, even helping contractors who are interested in doing the work as well. We can, it can help you there as well. Great. And I was just going to ask, um, you're both based on islands. Is there, presumably there's peatland throughout Scotland, both on islands and, and the mainland. And how do we know what we're looking at? What are the obvious signs of peatland? Sue, could you answer that one? <laughs> oh, gosh. It's such an iconic habitat. And I think, you know, I say half of Shetland's covered in peatlands. And in Shetland, we get very much, folk just assume that's what um, hills look like, I suppose. It is blank, blanketed in it. But when you start looking more closely, what you're looking at is this fantastic suite of um, plant species that just love wet um, conditions. They love having their sort of feet in the water. So a really healthy bog, you'll have lots and lots of sphagnum mosses. And that they're the real key. 
um, to building a bog. And I, I usually like to have a handful of sphagnum in my hand so I can show you just how much water it can hold. It'll hold 20 to 25 times its own weight in water. You can squeeze it and just see the water dripping out of it. And that's um, just like any other plant, as it's photosynthesizing, it's pulling CO2 out in the atmosphere. Brilliant thing about sphagnum mosses is they break down so, so, so slowly that all that CO2 is getting turned into carbon and it's just getting locked into that plant, which is then getting turned into the peat as it compresses. And that, that's, you know, that's, that's how it works. But um, along with your sphagnum mosses, you've got things like cotton grasses. And again, beautifully adapted to those, those wet conditions. Um, it's, uh, it, it's plant, it, um, it has got roots and it needs some um, oxygen down at its roots. There's no oxygen there when you've got waterlogged conditions on a peatland. So the way it gets around that is it's got tubes running down its you know, leaves to take the oxygen to its roots. It's snorkeling on the bog. I mean, what more could you want? So that's very much what you look for is this kind of suites of, sort of just fantastically well-adapted plants that just love wet conditions, love the huge rainfall that we get. Um, that's why Scotland and particularly Shetland are so good for peatland. Great. And, and how much peatland is there in Scotland? Uh, ben, could you answer that, please? Yeah, uh, so there's roughly a fifth of Scotland is peatland or, or peat soil. So um, there, there's quite a percentage of, of the country is, is, is covered uh, in peatlands. Uh, one of the recent surveys as well estimates that between 50 to 80 percent of that is considered to be in damaged and eroding conditions as well so we've got a lot of it but we've got a lot of it in not very good condition at the moment as well. Getting down to the kind of practical nitty-gritty I suppose of peatland restoration what does it actually involve? I mean I've heard of ditch blocking, surface smoothing, could you give us a brief overview of just some of the restoration activities uh, that are involved, Ben? Yeah, it, it depends on the site that you're working on, uh, is, is the unhelpful answer. <laughs> uh, the restoration techniques are <laughs> are really aiming to simply put, they're trying to restore the, the, the hydrology or the water table on a, on a peatland. So as Sue mentioned, peatlands like to be wet, the, you know, that's, that's their preferred state so any restoration techniques are looking to to stabilize and raise the water table so we're looking at areas that have been affected by drainage or the erosion is is moving the water off the site in a way that it shouldn't be basically altering the vegetation layer uh, and then causing wider problems and things so our, our restoration techniques first and foremost are looking at slowing the flow of the water off the site to stabilize that water table to encourage the vegetation to come back into the site and, and start forming peat again so the long-term vision the short-term vision is to uh, stop the erosion and trap the carbon from being released to the carbon dioxide and greenhouse gases. Um, but then long-term vision, uh, once the water table has been stabilised, is also bringing back the vegetation, which will help improve the habitat for the biodiversity uh, and to help increase the biodiversity. So the height of the water table really determines the types of activities that we would do on the site. We talked briefly about hag reprofiling, so peat hag reprofiling, so that's lumps of peat that have eroding edges. So they'd look like a, a, a black, if you cut a Swiss roll and turned it up on its side, you'd have the eroding edges around the, the edges of the cake and then the vegetation's on the top. Um, so we would look at reprofiling the edges. So in some cases, literally just uh, reprofiling the edges to, to a more friendly slope, sort of less than 40 degrees to allow the water table to stabilise and then the vegetation to cover up those bare edges. Um, we have other techniques looking at drain blocking, uh, furrow reprofiling if we're talking about forest to bog restoration techniques as well. They'll look at putting in blocks, dams, buns, whatever the term will be for the, the, the area, to slow the flow of the water down these systems to again try and stabilise that, that water table. So the majority of the techniques will look at restoring the hydrology 
but then we'll also look at being able to create an environment where the vegetation can come back in and, and cover bare peat. So we do do things as well, um, like sphagnum plug planting as well to help in bare peat areas, to help encourage vegetation into areas where there haven't been before, or um, borrowing turf from a nearby location as well from a restoration site. So if you've got within, say, 50 metres of a bare peat eroding site, you have a good flush of vegetation, sphagnum mosses, cotton grasses, etc. You can do borrowing from uh, from that section to come in and, and put over the bare peat to help try and restore that area as well. So it really depends. There's no limit to what we can do and we're inventing new techniques all the time to try and uh, counter the various problems that we've got across the country. So we've got project officers and, and uh, project partners in the national parks and up in Shetland and down to Dumfries and all the way on the east coast and right the way to the west coast. So we're trying to find techniques that will fit for all these areas as well. Incredibly technical stuff. Um, but many of our listeners won't be land managers with a, a, a peatland or a, or a bog on their land or in their backyard, but would be looking for practical ways to be able to help in their own garden or their own community. And, and certainly something a lot of people have heard of already is, is um, the need to try to buy peat-free compost wherever possible and to the point where I believe it's been banned in, in for sale in England. Um, Sue, I don't know if you could tell us a bit more about why exactly it's important to try to use peat-free compost. Why would you use it? You know, this peat that we're talking about, it's this fantastic carbon store and we want that to stay locked in, you know, as peat underneath that fantastic, beautiful layer of um, bog vegetation. The, the peat builds up at a millimetre a year. You know, and we're, Ben and I and the other project officers will be looking at sites where you've got two, three, four, you know, even plus metres of peat. That's been building up for thousands of years. And why would you use that in your garden? <laughs> Peat's not in there in, in the bags of compost for its fertility. It's just used there because it's so good at holding water. You know, like I said, it's made up of sphagnum moss, which is so brilliant at holding water. Yeah, there's plenty of other better, better much better products you could use in your garden. Our Make Space for Nature campaign provides practical ways where people can look after wildlife and help reverse nature loss. So how do you both make space for nature in your own lives um, outside of your, your work? Um, Sue, would you like to go first? Do you mean I've got to have a life outside of being a Peat and Action Project Officer? <laughs> um, <laughs> you're throwing me now. <laughs> I'm obsessed. I'll tell you something, though. Um, I've got really interested in seagrass, which is doing basically the marine version of peatlands. And that is fascinating. And uh, I, where I live in Shetland, I'm just about 50 metres from the sea. And lucky enough to live um, at the head of the Vaux, which is the last place in Shetland where the seagrass is surviving. And I'm one of these, you know, slightly nutty folk who likes to go and swim in the, in the sea right through the winter in their swimsuit. But it's fascinating, just the seagrass beds and the way they've built up and it, the, the whole marine equivalent thereof. So I'm quite keen on getting involved in something out there in the sea to do with, um, you know, looking at the seagrass and, and what's impacting on that. We have put out some data loggers, so they're busy monitoring the temperature out there. That's brilliant. Um, ben, what about yourself? I don't know if you also brave the cold waters up there in the north. Uh, not as brave as Sue, no. <laughs> um, in terms of making space for nature, <laughs> where I'm based, I'm quite fortunate. I'm right on the edge of open moorland, so I can see 
various birds flying in and out and, and using the, the lochs out the back there quite regularly. So we, we quite often uh, are trying to get my son to start watching the birds with me. So uh, looking to identify things in the garden. We've got an area of grass that we don't cut or we haven't cut uh, specifically this year. We've let it grow. Um, so we've been seeing new beasts crawling across the ground and trying to identify them. Um, the house we moved into as well we actually discovered there was an old bathtub hidden amongst some bushes and grass once we cut it down so we've left the bathtub there and, and frogs have been laying the frog spawn in there for the last couple of years so that's sort of developed into a, a, a an unnatural natural habitat um, so that's kind of what we've decided to do is kind of try and leave those areas for as long as possible to see who can make the most of them because it's important to make space for, for creatures as well as us. Uh, so looking at the birds and the beasts. Great, that's brilliant to hear. That is just um, absolutely the make space for nature. There's so many ways that we can we can all help and do our bit. And there's there's always uh, some tips on our website. Um, I'll put I'll put links to that in in the notes. But um, I was also going to ask if there's any other ways that you know our listeners can get involved with peatland uh, restoration. Yeah, certainly. I mean, look out for events that are going on um, in your area. Certainly in Shetland, we have um, quite a few volunteer days during the year. There's um, International Bog Day, which is sometime during the summer, where we get some event, an event going. Uh, folk can come out and actually do some of this sphagnum moss planting, which is so important. It's like the sort of final icing on the cake for a restoration project to go out and get um, transplant sphagnum moss into the newly created, re-wetted areas where we've been working um, with machines and so on. Great. Volunteering is always a, a great thing to do. And I think also since um, lockdown, we've certainly had a, a lot more volunteering opportunities for, for um, the general public to get involved with. So that's fantastic. So is there anything else um, either of you would like to add to the podcast episode today for our listeners? Yeah, just, I guess, follow up on the point about how to get involved with peatland restoration. Um if, if people are out and about walking across our peatlands and they find areas that are heavily eroded, then ask them to, to make a note of them and, and share them with either project officers or local uh, land managers or landowners and, and see if we can start a conversation about our peatlands. Um, I've, I've been involved, I've been lucky enough to be involved in a couple of school days, sort of raising awareness of our peatlands and, and the biodiversity within there uh, with children. And so many of them have just considered peatlands to be a barren, empty waste and um, when you start talking about them they, their eyes open up and their imaginations go wild um, so I think that's what I'd encourage people to do is really start looking at and talking about our peatlands in a way that opens them up for people to engage with again. I think it's great that there's so much um, history to the the peatlands and so on as well certainly in Shetland um, we've got a lot of sort of folklore about trows and giants and um, one of the sites uh, where I had some peat and restoration, peat and restoration project last year. Uh, there's a little loch and called Troller Water. You know, it's a troll loch. It's lovely uncovering that history. And then somebody told me, "Oh, did you know though? There's that that rock up there. If you look up there, that one that's named after a giant or a giantess rather, who was quite an angry lady would throw stones. And you just wonder where did all that come from? There must be, you know, there's such a lot of history in, involved. Um, I th- in the past, people were much more in tune with their environment and. Um, and I like to think that there's some of these stories of just a different way of describing the landscape. And uh, so it's important not to lose that as well. I think it's another aspect to the to peatlands and so on that sometimes folk can engage with who aren't, maybe aren't so keen on um, birds and beasties. So there's more, more than meets the eye, basically. 
thank you so much for both coming on today and, and letting us know a bit more about peatlands and, and how interesting and, and important they can be in the, the fight against biodiversity loss and climate change and, and how you know, interesting and beautiful they can be where the, you might not think of offhand. Um, we'll certainly be thinking of you both living out on the on the islands and looking after the peatlands and as, as winter approaches and all the best with the important work and, and we'll certainly be thinking of you next time you, you climb into a cold bog. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Make Space for Nature, please follow it on your podcast app and leave a review or rating. We'd also love you to tell more people about the series. For more ways to connect with and help protect Scotland's natural world, go to nature.scot.com.